0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're taking a much further back-in-time step than usual to cover the only female emperor in China's long history, Wu Zetian. You may not have heard of her before, but the way I described her hopefully piqued your interest. It's interesting to think that in China's several thousand year history, it's only had a sole female ruler once. Then again, that's still one more than the United States, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to dive into the story of a divisive ruler in China's history. Was Wu Zetian a great ruler, or the cause of many problems? Does she deserve to be remembered? Spoiler alert for that, yes. Are the attacks on her character justified? I know I'm asking a lot of questions at the beginning of the episode, but the fact remains that there are many opinions over her tenure as monarch of ancient China, so I'll leave the answers of those questions to you. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the 7th century and ready, Zetian Zhou. Wu Zetian ruled during the Tang Dynasty of China. Okay, technically she didn't rule during the Tang Dynasty, but we'll get to that in a moment. The Tang Dynasty lasted from 618 to 907 CE. China was a much smaller nation at this point in time, both in geographic size and population size, obviously. During Wu's reign, the Tang Dynasty's land covered most of eastern China, northwest China into Kazakhstan, a bit into northeast China, and even down into northern Vietnam. It was bordered on the southwest by the Tibetan Empire, and to the north by the Mongols, among other northern tribes. The Tang Dynasty was a cultural high point in China's history. Think of this as the Renaissance before the Renaissance happened, just in China instead of Europe. There was an explosion of art, culture, and religious ideologies. Buddhism was beginning to take a permanent hold in China, joining the already popular Confucianism, philosophy, and the religion of Taoism. The Tang Dynasty also saw a turn in personal rights for women, at least those in the cities. People in the countryside still lived more or less as they always had, even if the feudal system no longer applied to China. Metropolitan women were not equal to men, but they were able to enjoy their own lives, which actually included playing polo, a sport China had learned from Persia. Continuing on the topic of women, an important aspect of Chinese imperial life was women as courtesans. Today, the word courtesan is mostly thought of as a synonym for prostitute. While there certainly were courtesans in the emperor's court who served a role as the sexual partner for the emperor, they also had many other jobs. These women could be artists, singers, cooks, or even just laundry workers. A final note on Chinese imperial courtesans for now is that, after the death of the emperor, all of his courtesans were sent away to become nuns. Okay, so we've danced around the Tang Dynasty as a concept for a bit, but how did it actually begin? The previous ruling dynasty in China were the Sui Dynasty. During the reign of Emperor Yang Guan, there was a governor named Li Yuan, who also happened to be the Emperor's first cousin. The Li family had a fairly generous pedigree, including a possible paternal link to Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism. Emperor Yang led a failed military campaign to gain control of the Korean peninsula, so in 617, Li Yuan rebelled against the Emperor. Emperor Yang was forced into early retirement, and Li was more or less acting regent while the emperor's son was on the throne. In June of 618, a Chinese general killed the child emperor, and Li Yuan sat himself on the throne as the first emperor of a new dynasty, the Tang Dynasty, named after the state Li ruled. For almost 300 years, the Tang ruled China without interruption except for one small blip near the beginning. Who on earth could have caused such a massive disruption in the status quo of ancient China? Wu Zetian. In case you didn't know, the name Wu Zetian is actually the Chinese order of her name. Most East Asian countries write names with the family name first and the personal name second. However, when it comes to Wu Zetian, you might not even find her under that name. During her time as empress, she was actually known as Wu Zhao, which is another common name you can find when you research her. Emperor Taizong, who we'll get to in a moment, gave her the name Wu Mei. Actually, Wu Zetian was not even her name at birth. Her birth name is not written anywhere as far as we know. The Zetian part of her name was a posthumous title given to the empress after her death. It means obey the will of heaven. So why am I going with Wu Zetian over any other name? Well, it's simple. Uh, That's the name I learned when I first found out about her. No, there's not really any great reason. Also, because of all the names she has, I'll mostly just be referring to her by her family name, Wu. Despite not knowing her birth name, we do know that the childhood of Wu Zetian was fairly good even for a young woman during the Tang Dynasty. Her father held many titles over his life, all which led him to a prosperous existence. It's said that he encouraged Wu Zetian in her youth to study many intellectual activities usually reserved for men, on top of the usual artistic studies she would learn as a woman in her position. In the beginning of her time at the Imperial Palace, Wu worked as a laundry maid. For whatever reason, some stories say she stepped out of line and talked with the Emperor while they were alone, Taizong took interest in Wu due to her intelligence, wit, and beauty. Wu Zetian was swiftly promoted to the rank of secretary to the emperor, a position which gave her access to all the comings and goings within the imperial palace. While she may not have been Taizong's favorite concubine, Wu Zetian was noticed and favored by Taizong's son, Li Zhi. Though the prince was already married, Wu and he began an affair. Because she was still property of his father, Zhi could not take on Wu as his own concubine it was likely that the two would never have the opportunity to have an open relationship. Things changed when Emperor Taizong died in 649. Wu was around 25 years old at this time. Though she had served faithfully under Taizong, she had never borne the emperor a child. As I mentioned before, all concubines of a deceased emperor were sent to live the rest of their lives as Buddhist nuns. Under Chinese law, Wu and Li Ji would never see each other again. Now we begin with one of Wu's first major challenges against the ancient Chinese status quo. Li Ji succeeded his father as emperor, taking the name Gaozong, despite having both a wife and a number of concubines. Gaozong found Wu and brought her back to the imperial palace. But before we get any further, let's back up just a little bit. Let's introduce Empress Wang, Gaozong's wife, and consort Xiao, the emperor's favorite concubine. Lady Wang was jealous of the attention her husband showed to Xiao, and according to some traditions, actually welcomed in Wu, hoping that she could take some of Gaozong's attention away from Xiao. Whether that part is true or not doesn't matter because things backfired pretty spectacularly for both Wang and Zhao. Not only did Wu quickly rise up to become Gaozong's first concubine, a title here not referring to his first concubine gain but more like first as in the president's wife being the first lady, but Wu soon gave birth to two of the emperor's sons. Normally, this might be something to worry about but Lady Wang had been proactive in this regard. She had managed to make Gao Zong designate her cousin as his heir. But still, the jealousy both Wang and Zhao felt towards Wu was still there. And Wu was no doubt aware of this, which leads to the first divisive story of Wu's rise to power. Not that Gao Zong taking her back as a concubine was not divisive but this is the first moment that some historians will use to demonize the future empress. In the year 654, Wu Zetian gave birth to a baby girl. The child, unfortunately, did not live very long and was found dead in her crib. Wu immediately came forward claiming that Lady Wang had strangled her child to death. There were several eyewitnesses who corroborated that the empress was indeed around the child's bedroom. Wang had no alibi to prove her innocence. Wu pegged the Empress as a cruel murderer who was jealous because Lady Wang had no children of her own. Wu's allegations reached Gaozong, and he sent his now ex-wife into exile. Now, here's the thing. Many Chinese historians claim that Lady Wang was, in fact, innocent. They say that the real murderer was none other than Wu Zetian herself. These historians suggest that Wu killed her own daughter in order to push the blame on Lady Wang in order to get her out of the picture. I know, that's horrible. Even if she wanted to gain power, killing your own child is a very dark and drastic measure. But here's another thing ancient Chinese historians were very biased against Wu Zetian. Without getting too much into spoilers, Wu's tenure as empress did not leave the greatest of impressions for some people. It's entirely possible that allegations of Wu murdering her own daughter were created posthumously in order to further vilify a woman these historians already hated. Nonetheless, based on Wu Zetian's character as a woman driven to do anything to gain power. All I'm saying is that it is not completely impossible to believe these allegations. We'll never know who actually killed Wood's daughter. Some people suggest that no one murdered her daughter and the baby died from asphyxiation due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Poor ventilation and coal-powered fires make for bad air quality in ancient palaces. No matter which story you choose to believe, it all ends with Lady Wang out of the picture. One of Wu's rivals for Gao Zong's attention was out of the way, but one still remained, Consort Zhao. All it took was allegations against Zhao that she was practicing witchcraft, and Gao Zong had his former first concubine taken out of the picture. With no other woman by his side, Gao Zong and Wu were finally allowed to be together. On December 2nd of 655, Wu Zetian, at this point known as Wu Zhou, became Empress Consort of the Tang Dynasty. Wu's time as Empress Consort began with a bang she quickly set toward taking care of anyone who had previously doubted her. This included multiple imperial officers being exiled or executed. Also, just to ensure that her position as empress was solidified, Gao stripped Lady Wang's cousin of title as heir apparent and chose Wu's son Li Hong as the new heir. Everything was set for Wu Zetian to become a force within imperial politics. About five years after Wu became Empress Consort, in 660, Gao Zong was struck by illness that left him with poor vision and headaches. He was probably suffering from hypertension or a stroke, but medicine back then couldn't help him. Because his new wife had been well-educated, Gao Zong effectively left matters of the state to Wu Zetian. With the power of the Emperor in all but name, Wu continued her rise to power. She ordered military campaigns in Korea, effectively turning the Korean peninsula into a vassal state of the Tang Dynasty. Wu was even allowed the ability to sit in attendance at royal court with her husband, not completely unheard of but still uncommon. Even though she sat behind a screen, it was said her throne was the same height as Gaozong's, something that definitely was not normal. In 675, Wu's son, Li Hong, the current heir apparent, died. It is believed that he was poisoned, and where there is mysterious death, there are accusations of Wu Zetian. The story behind this killing is that Li Hong was showing favor to his half-sister, the daughter of Gao Zong and former first concubine, consort Xiao. He had come to Wu and suggested that Xiao's daughter should be allowed to be married, Apparently this angered his mother, who then took out her rage on her own son. Once again, we technically can neither prove nor disprove these accusations. This is just the traditional story. With Li Hong dead, Wu's other son, Li Xian, was named as the new heir apparent. Then things went relatively smoothly. Gaozong continued on as emperor despite his conditions, relying on his wife to handle matters for him. Wu continued to have her enemies exiled, demoted, or just outright killed. Yep, things were good. Then, in 683, Emperor Gaozong passed away. Li Xian took the throne, taking the imperial name Gaozong. Empress consort Wu Zhou continued gracefully as Empress Dowager Wu Zhou. Emperor Zhaozong's reign lasted a mere six weeks. His wife, Lady Wei, was also considered a cunning woman with dreams of power. Unfortunately for Lady Wei, she was living under the ever-watchful eye of Empress Dowager Wu Zhou. Wu quickly took care of her insubordinate, notice use of heavy air quotes, son and daughter in law, and had the pair banished on charges of treason. Wu placed her youngest son, Li Dan, on the throne as Emperor Rui Learning from her. mistakes? Wu effectively held the new emperor under house arrest for the entirety of his reign. She went away with all pretenses that Empress Dowager Wu Zhou was not, in fact, the true power of the Tang Dynasty. The status quo of Wu Zetian's rule continued with more exiles and executions until eventually in 690, at the age of 66, Wu forced Emperor Ruizong to abdicate his position and took her place on the throne. Finally, the reign of Empress Wu Zetian had arrived. Let's get one thing settled before we move forward. For any of you linguistic fans, the classical Chinese title Wu would have received upon ascending the throne is Huangdi, meaning Imperial Supreme Ruler. This word is gender neutral, meaning that even though we might call her Empress Wu Zetian, there was no grammatical difference as to her title. So if, say, I refer to her as Emperor instead of Empress, it technically doesn't matter. So let's check in on Wu Zetian's rule of the Tang Dynasty, shall we? Well, first thing, it's no longer the Tang Dynasty. As a true show of force, Empress Wu did away with the old name and changed China into the Zhou Dynasty. This was not the only word changes Wu would make during her reign. She introduced new words and written characters into the Chinese language, which are today known as Zetian characters. Most of these did not survive long after her rule, but they are still used in some capacity. But jumping quickly back to her complete changing of China's name, Wu entitled her reign as Tianzhou, meaning granted by heaven. Besides the name change, Wu also began proclaiming she was the incarnation of the Maitreya Buddha. In Buddhism, Maitreya is considered a Buddha who will come at some point in the future to bring a new law to the world. So we have a personal name change, check, country name change, check, declaration that she was essentially a god check look i'd love to give wu the benefit of the doubt in most cases like i said earlier ancient chinese historians were pretty sexist maybe she didn't kill her daughter or poison her son and maybe i can't fully comprehend some things because of historical and cultural differences but wu zetian is definitely seeming pretty tyrannical at this point So how about we go back to something that doesn't make her seem… bad. Besides the major overhauls Wu made to language and her country's name, she also made major reforms to the nation's education, agriculture, military, and other bureaucratic systems. And maybe surprisingly, most of these reforms were very popular among the citizens of the Zhou dynasty. How did Wu get such high approval ratings? The answer may surprise you, but it was actually suggestion boxes. Apparently those actually work. Each suggestion box had four different slots to accept petitions. One was for men to recommend themselves for imperial officer positions. The second was essentially an anonymous hate mail line to the imperial palace. The third was general grievances and accusations, and the fourth was for reporting supernatural occurrences. I know that last one is probably to accuse people of witchcraft, but I think we should bring back supernatural suggestion boxes for UFO and Bigfoot sightings. Unfortunately, these suggestion boxes were also used by Wu's extensive spy network to take out threats before they could get out of hand. Around 697, Wu's daughter, Princess Taiping, referred a man named Zhang Changzong to be her mother's lover. Zhang Changzong told Wu, who was many years his senior, that his brother, Zhang Yiji, was a much better match for the job. Taking this into consideration, Wu instead decided both men would join her. Not much is known about the Zhang brothers' history before Wu took them on as her lovers, but they made an almost immediate impact at the imperial court. They took up most of Wu's free time, and in return she promoted them to high-ranking imperial positions. Many people, including future historians, considered Wu's relationship with the brothers to be scandalous. Probably not because they were brothers, but because it was an elderly woman, Wu was in her mid-70s by this point, in a relationship with younger men. And no, this would not have been a problem if Wu had been a man and it was two younger sisters. The Zhang brothers were a perfect match for Wu because they too were in the game of have anyone who annoys us demoted or killed. Even in her old age, Wu could still enjoy that favorite tyrannical pastime, which did in fact include several members of her extended family. This period of Wu's status quo continued until, in 704, Wu Zetian was struck by a serious illness. The only people allowed to see the ailing empress were the Zhang brothers, much to the chagrin of basically everyone else. An effort had been made earlier in the year to have the brothers tried for treason, but nothing had ever come of it. The other chancellors and imperial officers began to worry that the Zhang brothers were planning to stage a coup against Wu. When Wu began to recover, Court officials pleaded that the empress allow Li Jian and Li Dan, the former emperors Zhang Zong and Zong, to attend to her, but Wu refused. She did allow a brief attempt of an investigation into the brothers after further calls of treason, but Wu quickly dismantled the investigation by pardoning Zhang Yiji. In early spring of 705, Wu once again fell ill. Finally, a coup could occur not against Wu, but against the Zhang brothers. Several chancellors and generals with approval by the former Emperor Zhaozong, killed the Zhang brothers. Afterwards, the group surrounded the Empress's quarters and reported the news of the brothers' deaths. In addition, the group ordered Wu to step down as Empress and reinstate Li Jian as Emperor. With no other choice, Wu accepted their terms. On February 23rd, Emperor Zhongzong retook the imperial throne. On March 3rd, the Tang Dynasty was officially restored, ending Wu Zetian's Zhou Dynasty once and for all. On December 16th of 705, Wu Zetian finally passed away at the age of 81. She was laid to rest beside her husband, Emperor Gaozong, As was customary, a large stone obelisk was erected outside her tomb. As per Chinese tradition, this obelisk was to be inscribed by future rulers of Wu Zetian's great deeds she had achieved during her time as emperor. However, even in death, the status quo did not apply to Wu Zetian. No one ever carved a single word onto her monument. Despite all the good she had done for her nation, powers that Bi wanted her to be remembered as a conniving murderer who was willing to kill her own family if it meant she could maintain power of course these views would dominate wu's story for centuries to come there are some interesting interpretations as to how some stories developed around wu many ancient historians seemed to pair her alongside another chinese empress lu ji of the han dynasty before wu Lu Zhi was thought to be the most wicked woman in all of China, as she had apparently had a penchant for torture and cruelty. With all of the stories, fact or fiction, about Wu, it's not hard to see why the two women would be compared by people wanting to erase Wu Zetian's legacy. For any real crimes Wu had committed though, and let's be honest, there were quite a few. The Empress's most horrific act was being a woman In a man's position. A lot has been done in more recent years to clear Wu's name as a vile empress who should only be remembered as a murderer. As I said, a lot of reforms she made during the Zhou dynasty were popular. She helped set up future rulers with the stability she had brought. However, with all the muckraking against her character, it's not impossible to see why the ancient Chinese dynasties would be wary of putting another woman in power. If possible, I will definitely try to find another female Chinese ruler to cover. Maybe we'll check out Lu Zhi of the Han dynasty down the road. But even though Wu Zetian was the only woman to hold the title of Huangdi, there are many male rulers of imperial China I would love to cover in this show. But for now... That's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hoped you enjoyed the journey. Next time, we're doing something slightly different from the regular Royally Screwed. It's an episode I wanted to do for a bit, but wanted a few episodes underway before getting into it. You can't talk about wild rulers without mentioning the big guns. Rome. Next episode will be a quick overview of the early Roman emperors of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, so we can set up a future episodes for these